Welcome to the Conquering Columbus podcast. I'm Mike. We got Tim over there. And, hey. Uh, how you doing today, Tim? Man, I'm doing really well, actually. Really? Even after the Blue Jackets lost this week? Oh, you're going to just go straight to that? I'm huh? going to go straight okay. for the yeah. throat. It's been a well, rough week for Columbus Well, I was doing pretty well, and now I'm not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, just to vent a little bit, you know, I, I I talked about this a little bit on the podcast. I got, you know, a new job. Well, a job. You know, it's funny. It's like first big boy job. And that's been a big adjustment. Well, the biggest adjustment has been... COVID has made the, the weirdest start times. It's a playoff hockey game that started at, at noon. noon. At noon. Yeah. Normally, I'm just blowing off work, my work for the day, and I'm drinking and I'm watching the game, right? But I had to get my work done. So I'm listening to it on one of my screens while I'm working. And we're down two. We score four unanswered. It's a crazy game. Four, two. And it's in the third period. And I have to go into a meeting where I can't take the game with me. I go into the meeting up four, two. And I come, come back out, to five, four. Five, four. Uh, and we're now in the playoffs. And I'm like, what the hell happened while I was gone? Yeah. You know? And uh, so, uh, well, I was doing well, but now. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry to okay. ruin your day. Um, um, and still, on top of that. The boys look good. We lost three massive free agents last year and we mm -hmm. still, you know. Pushed the pace, man. We played. Yeah. And, we, you know, I think we were just a little tired. We lost it. Like, I, I felt like we weren't putting the same pressure that we had been on defense in the last few games. But. Boys look good. I'm still that, excited. Love some hockey. I'm ready to get back more into bad the news. arena. Big Ten says no football. Yeah, that's confusing. We could talk about that forever. Um, uh, I mean, we're yeah. Now we're getting into uh, side topic stuff, but you know, it's Columbus news. So it, it, yeah, it's a big deal, man. Um, a lot of people are mad because the commissioner's son is in a yeah. conference who's playing, and and he, he gets and the choice. Yeah, Why don't we? and we're not. So um, I'm, I'm, I mean, obviously, if it's uh, if it's unsafe, then no one should play. And if it's right. safe enough for someone to play, uh, then everybody should play. And again, this one is like, you know, if you're forcing these kids to do it, that's kind of messed up. But mm -hmm. if they want to play and the coaches want to play and everybody wants to play and they understand the risks. I mean, football inherently is a pretty risky right. sport. You could die out there at any point. So not that I'm comparing a, a hard tackle to, you know, a COVID that we don't understand. But, right. you know, to each, there's his own opinion. I'm curious to see what happens. Columbus might lose its mind without football. Um, I'm going to lose my mind. What I'll, do I watch now? I guess the crew. The crew's, uh, well, yeah, the crew's on tonight. Up the crew. I would like to see the Big Ten join uh, like a super conference. Right. You know, make an ACC, the big, SEC, I would love to see Big Ten. Big Ten, Big 12. But but no, I'm saying put all the contenders into one big conference and just have them play each other all year. Oh, so you mean just like, okay, we take, we just handpick like, okay, we'll take Oklahoma, we'll take yeah. Butler, make we'll a super take conference. Alabama, we'll take mm -hmm. Auburn, LSU, Clemson, Clemson Notre Dame, Florida. And let's all play. And and basically Wisconsin, maybe or Michigan yeah, or something like yeah. that. And like, all right, here we go. Now we're going to play a real season. That's what I want to see. That would be okay. So here's the thing, though. That would be so brutal on the athletes. Oh, for sure. But I mean, right? that's like the NFL. Yeah. You know, you're playing the best teams every week. Well, not always best teams. Well, yeah. But, but what I'd like to see from that then is then get away from the NCAA, create their own farm team, basically their own league where it's for profit. And then they're now a legit farm team for the NFL. Mm -hmm. And they're out from underneath the NCAA rulings. People can get paid. They can generate money. Um, obviously, that creates lots of other problems for the other programs that are funded. But that's what me, selfish, want to see is get them away from the NCAA. Make it all these, you know, Ohio State would then essentially instantly become a professional team right, right here. And then we would be a farm team for, for the NFL. We might as well just go all the way if we're going to do it. But yep. all right. <laughs> Sidetracked. Let's talk about the episode. This week, we're talking with Tom Stolf from the Columbus Zoo. Yeah, which was awesome. A lot it was of a fun. great interview, man. Had a lot of fun. I think it, this one was just me and you again. So no Josh. Uh, on this interview, if I recall correctly, 
Uh, but uh, I love talking to Tom. He even got brought in some pictures to show us of some of the places he's been. Apparently, yeah. he's going to take you to Antarctica. Yeah, I'm still going to hold him to that. Right, yeah. So, so we'll, I might not be on next week. So I might <laughs> be in Antarctica, hopefully. Well, if uh, Tim is heading to Antarctica, we'll make sure to post some pictures of it. But yeah, <laughs> I'll uh, face you time. guys will definitely enjoy this interview. Tom's a great guy. He's taken over uh, the head of the zoo. And, uh, you know, as uh, Jack Hanna transitions out, so um, makes for a great interview, great story. Yeah, it's a crazy time at the zoo. Jack yeah. Hanna being the staple for what 40, 42 years, something right. like that. Yeah, I mean he was the um, he was the show, and, and he's uh, taken over at a time when it's really rough for him. So th they're still open, they're still taking visits. You just got to schedule it. There's a little bit of more protocol to be safe, but you can still go check out all the animals. Yeah, so support them. Visit they the zoo. Need it. Yeah, enjoy the episode, and uh, we'll be right back. This is conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Today on the show, Jenny Brittenbauer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. I'm truly never comfortable. When I'm comfortable, I'm bored. I just have to keep going. Only when you're a little bit scared are you in a place where you're about to learn something. We're explorers, and explorers are making discoveries because they are going places where people haven't before. Urban Meyer. There's one guarantee in this world, and that's hard work will be rewarded. And hard work, you have to embrace discomfort. I love how you said that. Live uncomfortably. Donato's Jane Abel. We have a umbrella idea of agape capitalism, which is about doing business and doing it with love and giving back to the community. And I believe in our product, but more importantly, I believe in our people. Pelotonia CEO, Doug Olman. There's this genuine pride for things that were born and raised in Columbus. And that's awesome. At the same time, there's this beautiful Midwest humility. People don't necessarily care about who gets credit. Cameron Mitchell of Cameron Mitchell Restaurants. One of our goals is to be better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we are today, and that goal stays the same 24-7, 365. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. I'm Mike, one of your co-hosts. We also got Tim over there. How's it going? Great, Tim. I'm excited. And uh, today on the show, we're talking with Tom Stolf, and Tom is the president and CEO of the Columbus Zoo. Tom has more than 30 years experience gained by first working as a zookeeper and then advancing through every aspect of zoo management from animal care to exhibit design to financial management and even strategic visioning. He became the youngest zoo director in the country when he was tapped to manage the Niobe Zoo. That's correct. Yeah. Nice. Good Nailed job. it. Niobe Zoo in Illinois in 1995, and he guided that zoo to gain national accreditation for the first time. And today, Tom leads up the Columbus Zoo and all related businesses. We're really excited to talk to him about everything the zoo has going on, as well as what the transition looks like as Mr. Jack Hanna steps into retirement. So welcome to Conquering Columbus. Hey, Tom. thanks for having me. It's really an honor. Yeah, it's exciting to have you here as well. And, uh, you know, we had we had Jack on back in the day. Yeah. And that was one of our earlier podcasts. We did it over a Zoom call. And I remember Jack, you know, one of the funny things I remember about Jack in that interview was before it started, he said, well, wait, need my hat. <laughs> and we weren't even recording video, but he just, he had to have his hat. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise it wouldn't go the yeah. right way. Jack is an absolutely amazing guy. I've known him for a long, long time. And, and, uh, he definitely, uh, knows, uh, how to, uh, be prepared for anything, radio or TV. He's a genius. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, not here to talk about Jack, though. We're here yeah. to talk about you, Tom. So yeah. one of the first places we always like to start is just a little bit of background about yourself, where you grew up, sure. how you got into zookeeping, all that sort of thing. Yeah. So I grew up in Northwest Illinois in the Quad City area. No one knows it except for when I say John Deere. It's the world headquarters of John Deere, Moline, Illinois. So I grew up on a little farm near there. Is Jenny Brittenbauer from up near there? 
I don't know why, but I feel like she mentioned the Four Corners, and now I'm going to be someone's going to fact check me on this. Completely wrong. So keep going. <laughs> Let's just say yes. Okay. Yeah. So it's a you know a great community, and uh, I went to uh, college, high school in that area. Lived on a farm all my life. Uh, my entire family uh, worked at John Deere, except for me and my sister. Um, and then right at, right out of uh, high school, I went to Western Illinois University, um, focusing on um, well, it's. Kind of funny. I, I was in law enforcement. That's what I wanted, criminal justice. But after a couple of years in, um, I realized I wanted to, to go a different route and then changed into biology, emphasizing in zoology, which is the study of animals, not zoos, and really focused on ecology and conservation. I've had the opportunity now to pretty much travel. Well, I've been to every continent in the world. I've been to so many different places. And um, making a difference for conservation, I think, is the most important thing that we can ever do, right? We have one planet, and we can't mess it up. So mm -hmm. if, if I can inspire people to care about this planet, to save animals and habitats, and help people, um, then I've succeeded. So um, right out of college... Literally five days after I graduated from college, there was an ad in our local newspaper, and it said, zoologist of Rock Island County apply at the Rock Island County Forest Preserve Office. Does that say zoo anywhere? No. So I walked in, clipped on a tie, walked into the, to the, uh, the interview, and it was a reptile keeper for the local zoo. Well, uh, I wasn't a reptile guy, but I, you know, young college student needed a job. So you learn quick and say, oh yeah, I definitely want the job. Landed the job there. And not that I was, I wasn't against the zoo. I just, as I grew up, I didn't go to zoos. I didn't, I, my, my parents were farmers. And um, when, you know, when we took a vacation, you know, we would go to maybe up to Minnesota, up to a lake and relax and things. And we would go to the zoo for school field trips. And, um, you know, it was amazing to see all these different species, but I grew up with animals all my life. I've been around animals and I, I've always loved to be around them. And so when I landed the job at the zoo, literally, it was just days in, moments in, I realized this is the best job in the world because everybody who's coming to see the animals, they're not working. They're with their girlfriends or their wives or they're pushing their grandkids. They're all smiling. They're seeing amazing animals that have unbelievable stories. Some, unfortunately, are highly endangered. But with the compassion and the storytelling that we can do as zookeepers, um, maybe I can get you to care a little bit. And so, literally, I walked in as entry-level zookeeper, and within three and a half years, I was the zoo director. So that's a big jump, right? And that, that went from, you know, literally uh, cleaning up and caring for the animals to managing um, staff and, and designing uh, exhibits. So in that time, we had one elephant there. Her name was Kathy Shaboom. Mrs. John Deere purchased her from a logging camp in India and, and, and she was born in 1962, and they brought Kathy Shaboom over to this uh, little zoo and literally built an exhibit around her. And it's wrong that there's only one elephant, right? Elephants mm -hmm. should be with, you know, they're social. They need to be with other elephants. So that was my biggest challenge right away as a young 20-something kid uh, to 
you know, raise money and build a new exhibit. Well, I needed to talk to the experts. And there was an expert at uh, Columbus, Ohio. His name's Harry Peachy. And he's now retired from uh, Columbus and, and working in Boise, Idaho at a zoo. And um, while I was there, he said, hey, you want to meet Jack Hanna? I said, are you kidding me? I would love to meet Jack Hanna. So I, I met Jack and, you know, he said some inspiring words. I thought he was talking to me and only me, but now that I've known him for long, he says this to everybody, but it was something like, wow, I love your spirit. You remind me of when I was younger. You know, you can only, you're only young for so long. You need to go to Africa and see all these animals. Have you been there yet? And I said, no, I've never been. And he said, what are you doing? So literally when I got home, I took off and I went to Kenya and Tanzania for about a month and I led some tours and things. And, um, boy, when I came back, it was, it was just like, you know, I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference for wildlife and wild places. And it's not just going to my job and caring for the animals that I have. I want to raise money for conservation and I want to make, move the needle. And that's where it all started. It was, it started by being inspired by Jack. And I, you know, I think to myself where I'm at today, knowing that I'm working at Jack's house and it's just absolutely an honor. And it, it's been, it's just been a great, great career. Our first sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. You mentioned you've been to every continent. I'm pretty jealous. What was the... Uh, what brought you to Antarctica and how did that, how did yeah, that go? I just got back, um, just oh, cool. a, a few months ago. Um, so the thing that I love about the Columbus Zoo and Aquarium is we focus on conservation initiatives. We have over a hundred, I think 114 different conservation projects in 46 different countries. We care for arid deserts to corals. And uh, from aardvarks to zebras. So we have partners in conservation globally. And that's why when we talk about the number one zoo in the nation and, and you hear Columbus right at the top, uh, it's because we're making such an impact globally. And it's because... Um, we, well, because we have people like Jack Hanna that can be on uh, a, a television show and you can watch them globally, or now we have our own uh, TV show on Nat Geo Wild called Secrets of the Zoo, um, highlighting all the things that we're doing. So I get the opportunity to travel to the conservation projects mm -hmm. and um, meet with a conservationist and talk about oceans or, or any type of um, conservation projects that we could maybe get reinvested in and help them. So um, Antarctica, I was uh, unfortunately during this uh, COVID, I was in Uganda when it actually came down and was real heavy. So we had to end our trip. We were trekking chimps and gorillas. And, um, and then we had to rush back home and, and get in before they shut the borders. So what, what were you doing in Antarctica before? Was that before or after that? 
Yeah, it was um, uh, before, way, you know, a few months before. So in Antarctica, we um, first of all went to Patagonia and we mm-hmm. traveled through Patagonia and, and see the wildlife there and, and all of the the things that are that make Patagonia amazing, which obviously is the glaciers. You mm-hmm. you definitely want to see those as they're calving. It's un, it's sad, but it's natural uh, and it's awesome. Mm-hmm. So do that. You have to do that. Um, and then and then um, we took a boat and went through the Drake Passage, which is the roughest seas in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on the fifth floor of the boat. It was a small boat, but uh, I mean, I mean, it was a, uh, it, it was a boat that held like a hundred people. Mm-hmm. So that's a big boat, but it's not like a cruise ship. Yeah. But I was on the fifth floor and the waves were hitting my, my doors like I was on the first floor. Yeah. 40 crazy. foot waves. Yes. And, um, <laughs> and to be able to go into Antarctica and, and, you know, walk with the penguins and see the leopard seals and the whales. It, it was breathtaking. I've been trying to go. I, I found, so I got a little bit obsessed. I'd like to travel as well. I've been quite a few places and, and uh, that's the last continent that I haven't knocked out yet. And I, I, I don't know, I get into like these deep, deep holes of research. And I, I watched something about Antarctica and I met a photographer that had been there and I just saw these like crazy photos. And I started figuring out how people, you know, cause there's the, the city and the, the jobs that people get there. And it's really, really hard. And I ended up meeting this guy on Twitter that was a, that had worked in one of those, uh, like he would tr- drive out and check little transmitters basically yeah, sure. in one of those big, you know, tank things. Yeah. And it would be like six hour, four hours out and four hours back of driving. And that's like all he did. But we talked on Twitter and it was like impossible. I, I, I'm trying to go so bad. Yeah. And, but I don't, obviously I don't want to work like in a store or whatever, but I want to sure. go. And, you know, I, I found out about all the, it was reading about the treaties and everything and the way that, you know, countries that are at war coexist there. And it's yeah. like such right. a good example of how things could be, you know, if we tried a little bit harder. I, I completely <laughs> agree with you. And, and you know, going back to my story when I traveled to Kenya and Tanzania, I was making $3.35 an hour. That was minimum wage. If I made it there for six months, it was four twenty-five. All right. Mm-hmm. That, that was, that's the money that we're talking about in 1991. Um, I didn't have any money. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I put it on my credit card, which is probably not a good thing to yeah. do, but, but it was such, um, an inspiring trip for me to be in the Masai Mara and the Serengeti and watch elephants come across the grasslands. I mean, I was awestruck and you talk about, you know, feeling like you're in national Geographic. I was in national geographic. I mm-hmm. mean, and, uh, it was just absolutely inspiring. And so for all the listeners, I'm telling you right now, if you can do it, find a way, travel and see this world. It is an amazing, the thing, the thing that I think is the most intriguing thing for me is culture. You know, if we just figure out, you know, the, the number one cause of endangered species is wildlife and human conflict. And if we can learn more about cultures, um, it, money doesn't fix it. You know, you could walk in there with $3 billion and it's not that, that people don't like animals. It's the culture that's ruining the habitats. And somehow we have to figure out how to coexist. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, it's a puzzle that I like to try to solve and, um, and help. You can't solve it, right? Or, you know, no, one, no one's going to just you know, snap in and do it. But man, it's so inspiring to learn. And, and uh, every place I've been, people will ask me, what's your favorite place? Well, for me, they're all different. They all have a different story. Um, I literally could be here for 20 hours telling you every story of every place I've gone and, and the things that, that I've been able to, to see and do. 
Um, but the bottom line is it's, it's absolutely intriguing for, uh, to learn so much. And I encourage everyone to do it. How do we get to Antarctica? Take me with you. Yeah. Okay. I want to go. <laughs> yeah. All right. I've, 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 just get to Ushuaia. That's the, the farthest town. And then just uh, and, take a boat over. And then there's a boat there. And you I've just, done a ton of things like yeah, that where yeah. you just go find a way to get a yeah. place that you're not, not necessarily yeah. like I've jumped on like shipping, <laughs> shipping boats and stuff like that. I met these guys. Actually, I won't tell that story, but yeah. I met these, <laughs> these guys that were working on a boat and they were taking things. It wasn't like drugs or anything, but they were like importing stuff that. Yeah. It was like a side side thing. I was like, all right, how about you import me? <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Oh, you also spoke about conservation and, um, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that it, that's the animals, but also like a clean energy, you know, like that all- For sustainability Exactly, well. sustainability. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, have you had a chance to see uh, Zach Efron's new show? I have not. So uh, I, I was a, when I was a kid, Mighty Ducks was just a big series I loved. And I remember when they played Iceland, I became obsessed with that country. I was probably like- 12, 10, something like that, you know, and I just became obsessed with it and I got a chance to go. And that's, I've never had a place feel like more when I was just like at home at peace there. I don't know why I just, this, I just felt this draw to it. And then I went and I was like, yep, this is everything. You know, normally you're, you, you like build up an experience and it's a little bit of a letdown. It was more than I could have ever expected. I've been able to shoot there numerous times for different clients and then just go by myself. But in my time there driving around and cause there's basically one big road that goes around and then there's stuff inside and whatnot. But meeting people there, learning the stories about what's going on. In the 70s, they um, they were very reliant on outside oil, fossil fuels, things like that. And now they're like 100% run off of their own, because it's all volcanic. So they're able to take the steam and, you know, I'm going to get in, I don't want to be boring, but what they've been able to do in 50, 40, 50 years yeah. is incredible. And Zac Efron, the point of that was he's doing like this travel show with to some cook or something. Okay. It's kind of an awkward show, but the first episode they go to Iceland and they really dive in and they talk about that. So I was like, man, if it takes Zach Efron's beautiful face for people to start listening, hmm. that's fine with me. But if you get a chance, like a 40 minute episode, they talk about how they harvest basically the the natural energy in um, this like steam because yeah. it's all volcanic. And then it runs turbines and stuff like that. And they're able to power. I mean, there's only 300 and some thousand people in the whole country. Yeah. So it's definitely like a, a small sample size, but they took it in less than 50 years from, you know, completely fossil fuels to now hundred percent green. So I, I definitely love that as the zoo, you guys are at least advocating for that and trying because we need more of that. And it's, and quickly we're running out of time. Well, fast. And, and, you know, to tell you a story, the thing that I love about traveling around, you, you get to meet these scientists and you meet these, you know, assistants and, and just, you know, people, locals that have lived in their areas all their lives. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget this story that I was on an island, the ABC islands. And, and, uh, literally I had an opportunity to go on a, um, uh, submarine. It was a three-person submarine, and we went um, hundreds of feet deep. <laughs> right? I mean, it was. I think we were at twelve hundred feet, and um, you know, the pressure. They had a big gulp, um, like a Seven Eleven big gulp that they tied in a bag and then brought it down. And, and when it came up, it was the size of a shot glass. Oh, and, you know, wow. the pressure. Yeah. But anyway, I was sitting down with this this guy, the the operator of the submarine, afterwards, and he said. I can solve all of global warming's problems. And I said, well, hello, let's hear it. All right, and yeah. you know what he did though, but it was pretty cool. He said, it's erosion. 
And I said, erosion? He said, yeah, everybody's building up around the oceans and all of the soils and sands are going in. And he took, he took a two pieces or two glasses mm-hmm. and, he, and he filled it with water and he put one with sand in it and one just with water. And he sat there and we talked, it was hot. And um, uh, within, I'd say 15 minutes, Oh, he had a, a thermometer and he tested both water. And the the one that was full of sand was like 20 degrees warmer. And he's like, this is what's happening to the earth. Really? And, you know, he's probably wrong or he might be right. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, it's, it's things, stories like that, that you sit back and you're like, wow, you know, there's, there's some science out there that, that can help us. And, and I, I agree. I think the bottom line is, when we talk to uh, all the students that go to the zoo or I do career days and people want to be a zookeeper or a veterinarian or, or, you know, a zoo director, you know, we talk about what you can do today, right? Mm-hmm. Um, everyone is building their resumes. And um, if they, you know, I don't care if you're 13 years old or you're 23, um, you, you need to start focusing on what you want to do. And it does, you don't have to be in the zoo business. It could be whatever job you want, but do it and do it right and, and keep focusing on that and, and make a difference. Our next sponsor is the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is a local nonprofit that's committed to helping their partners build upon their strengths. They turn visions of what if into sustainable resources for the community. So one thing that I've been thinking about this whole time is how important it is that we study things like ecology because so I was a biology major as well in college. And I think that one thing that hurts conservation is that people don't understand how interconnected the world is. Oh, right. And so like the, the prime example that I think of is a story that got shared around a lot on Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff, the, the wolves at Yellowstone, mm-hmm. where reintroducing the wolves to Yellowstone actually changed over time affected the shape of a river yeah, running through Yeah, You see that about the elk and the, and right. yeah. Because, mm-hmm. because the wolves, so the crazy thing about this is the wolves affected the actions of the elk and the elk had to stop eating around the river because it was an open space and it slowed down erosion of the river, which is nuts to think about. But then, you know, that's why I think the, the thing that I'm always reminded of is there was a, uh, you know, a, an owl that, in a town in Oregon that my family's from. And they were all like, well, why do we got to worry about this owl? Spotted owl. Right, spotted owl. Why do we got to worry about the spotted owl? Well, that's exactly why. Because you have no idea what not having the spotted owl around is going to cause. Yeah. Because it's also interconnected. Yeah, it's absolutely correct. And, you know, there's a lot of stories uh, that I, I, or sayings that I I hear, stories that I read that, you know, and I, I won't recite it correctly, but by the time it does affect us, it's too late. Right. You know, in, in plants and animals are vanishing every day. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what can we do to, to make a difference? And and, you know, it's funny because when you when I talk to people about, you know, the Columbus Zoo or just zoos in general, um, I don't think just the uh, Jane Doe, Joe Blow, they really know how important zoos are to the world. I'll give you one example. Mm-hmm. I could give you a ton, but I'll give you one for 19 years the Smithsonian Institute scientists in D.C. have been working on in vitro fertilization. They wanted to be able to take gametes from wild animals, uh, put them in an animal that's at a zoo, care for that, and then have offspring, and then those offspring could go back into the wild. 
For nearly 20 years, they've been working to try to get this done, and it's never been successful at all in cats, in, in exotic cats, like a large cat. They came to Columbus because we have such a great collection of, of animals that are trained. We go in with them every day. They do the cheetah run uh, over at, at our Heart of Africa exhibit. And so they're not scared of ultrasounds. They're trained to get uh, injections that they need to. So they were able to take gametes from rare cheetahs that are still in zoos. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was in um, Texas and, I, and and another one came from us. But then we had an overrepresented female that was young, but would be considered one that you wouldn't, we have a, a, a species survival program. So there's a stud book and you know where the kinship mean is and if you're above it or below it. So they took uh, what you would say an overrepresented uh, female and implanted these uh, eggs in this female, and they're now six months old, and they're running around at the zoo right now. And it's funny because the next day I did a rotary um, speech, and I said, I don't know what you did yesterday, but I saved a species. I saved cheetahs. And what I mean by that is we work in collaboration with our partners and our scientists. And, you know, in Columbus, Ohio, we were able to be the first and only facility that was able to get this science right. And in the end, we'll be able to go out into the wild. There's only 7,000 cheetahs left in the world, in, oh, wow. in, in Africa. That's it. Mm-hmm. They're highly endangered because of the fact that their corridors where they live have been shut down because of, of livestock and, and you know farming. So uh, we'll be able to keep that species alive. And it's the first animal, and we'll we'll do many more. So it's a great story. What what made you, uh, what do you think made that process so difficult? You know, I don't know. It's a it's a story that that goes way beyond me on on what it took to be able to be successful. I'm not sure, but I know that that they worked very hard. And and again, did it happen? It happened at Columbus, but it didn't happen alone. It happened mm-hmm. with collaboration with our science and um, having animals in our care. Our top priority is animal welfare. Mm-hmm. We will always make sure our animals in our care uh, have the best care. Our community is extremely important. We serve our community. Our community can be measured by many different things, by our county, by our state, by the United States, but we will serve our community and we wanna make sure we give back to conservation. So if we're successful, then we can invest in conservation. Now, lately, we've been hurting. We're a nonprofit organization, and with COVID-19 and the restrictions, we were shut down for many months. And, you know, frankly, we've lost $32 million, and we're not going to get that back. Now, we're not broken and we're not bankrupt, but we're hurting. Mm-hmm. And, and so with that being said, what we're able to invest in conservation is going to be reduced. It's mm-hmm. not going to stop but it's not going to be as strong as it was until we can rebound. And we understand and we completely support all the guidelines. We want everyone wearing masks. We want to make sure that everybody's healthy. Can't wait for that vaccine. But in the meantime, I know we're all hurting and uh, and every nonprofit is hurting and, and not just nonprofits, but individuals, you know, so we're doing everything we can to survive. 
Hey there, Conquerors. We want to take a quick moment to talk about one of our sponsors, Studio 301. Kyle and his team have helped us redesign our website, taking the podcast in a new direction that we truly love. And we have some incredible guests here on the show. And Studio 301 has given us a website that reflects the caliber of the people that join us. And the Studio 301 team can help you with everything from brand strategy and redesigns to market research, videography, social media overhauls, and a whole lot more. You can go check them out at studio301.org. That's studio301.org. Other than just going to the zoo, right? I mean, the zoo's open right now, right? Yeah, if you're that's right. Yeah, so other than just going, what else could people do if they're listening right now and they're like, hey, how, how can I help support the yeah, zoo? Yeah, so the, the bottom line is the, the Columbus area, they love their zoo. Mm-hmm. And uh, we really appreciate that. So we have 100,000 members and that's representing, you know, three or four in the household. So, you know, 400,000 people that would say they're a member of the zoo. That really helps us. So it helps you too, because you just, you know, you can go in, you you pay one time, it's an annual pass, and then you keep coming back. That helps us because um, we, we need that revenue. Adopting an animal or doing, just donating to the zoo, uh, just check out our website at columbuszoo.org. And um, we appreciate everybody's help. You know, we, we're here for our community and we're an outreach. You know, we'll go, if you can't come to us, we'll come to you. Um, and uh, I think that it's been a great opportunity for us to make sure that we're as efficient as we can be and still provide a safe place to go. And, and we're doing that every single day. So what we do manage, it's over $100 million in operating cost every year. We have a golf course, Safari Golf Course. We have Zumbezi Bay, which is a for-profit water park. We have the Columbus Zoo, and then we have the Wilds. Um, and so all of, all of those entities are open and, uh, we just ask people to check out our website cause it's time ticketing right now. Cause we have to make sure that we're not too busy mm-hmm. and it's fun to go to the zoo now and the water park. Cause we're not too busy, you know, cause we're restricting entrance and, uh, and making it safe. Are you yeah. able to have all the exhibits open and everything? Yeah, er- okay. Everything's open. You know, we did a step down when we first started uh, in the beginning of June, we didn't have our buildings open. Mm-hmm. And then we, then gradually we brought them open and um, you know, we have uh, uh, markings on the ground for where you can stand. Yeah. Um, uh, we want you, because we don't want high touch areas. So mm-hmm. we don't want you up against the uh, windows and looking in, but you can still see great. It's only about four or five feet away. Gotcha. I haven't been in a while. I need to, I need to. One of go. the best times I've ever been. So my fiance and I, we go from time to time and we were, we were there, I think it was two summers ago. And I'll tell you what, for some reason, all of the bears, all of them, every exhibit, were just losing their minds that day. Yeah. And then I walked in and we were we were watching the two grizzly bears just duke it out. <laughs> they're and brothers. Was, they're yeah, brothers. they're brothers. Yeah. And yeah. They, were, they were like just, I mean, obviously they were messing around. They weren't yeah. like actually trying to hurt each other, but they were, ha- I mean, it looked like it. And it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And yeah. then, but we were here at FMX actually, because we work with the zoo. You guys actually use our, our facilities management software and, and work order software and that. And- you guys, so we set something up a couple of years ago where they actually brought animals to us. Yeah. Which was one of the coolest things ever because there's a penguin, a sloth, um, some type of owl. And then I think it's a pangolin. It's a yeah. little, like it's got the little. Oh, echidna. Echidna. It's yeah. an echidna, yeah. Well, it's, it had like really sharp claws yep. and digs deep. Yeah, echidna. That's it, echidna. Okay. Yep. You would know better than me. Yep. <laughs> but that was a really cool thing. And I think it just, it's, it's. It's interesting how like the Columbus Zoo is unique in that you have the Safari Golf Club and those things that help support the 
the intermission. So that's why we diversified our portfolio, right? So we, w- we want to make sure that when it's extremely hot, you go to the water park. When it's a 72-degree day, you're going to the zoo. If uh, mom wants to go golfing and dad wants to take the kids to, uh, to the zoo, mom can have some fun. The wilds is like going on a safari. It's the largest conservation facility in the United States. And um, we have highly endangered animals there. We have places where you can go zip lining, horseback riding. You can, there's cabins there. There's glamping. So glamorous tent camping. Um, There's a lodge right on the lake. There's 110 lakes there. So if you want to go fishing, you can do that. So it's a great adventure and it's not that far away. It's about an hour and a half away from downtown Columbus. So, um, you know, it works. And in the end, um, I measure our success by many different ways, but ultimately it's our investment in conservation and and taking care of wildlife and wild places. So what's the future look like then? I mean, I, I, other than waiting on that vaccine and hoping everybody, everything is back to normal, what else are you guys working on here? So I'll be honest with you, you know, as I look at our strategic plan, you know, we will do all of what we've been doing with our mission. It's lead and inspire by connecting people and wildlife. We'll do that every single day. Now, financially, I'll be honest with you, we are surviving. We're going to survive in 2020. We're going to survive in 21. And we're going to recover in 22, in 23, and probably 24. We took a big hit here. And, um, and we're not alone. We understand that. So I don't want people to think that I'm, we're the only ones. We're not. Um, you know, we imply, employ 2,500 employees um, and uh, some have lost their jobs. Some have been furloughed. And I don't take that lightly at all. And, and so we're going to make sure that we every single day focus on our mission, make sure that our guests come in and they have their first class experience every single day, but we need to recover and just be as good as we can be. Now, we just opened up a brand new region. It's uh, called Adventure Cove. And, you know, usually when we build a region, we'll have 30 to 40,000 people in the zoo in a day. And, and we couldn't do that this time. So we're going to enjoy next year while people come into the zoo to see Adventure Cove. It's home of sea lions and seals. And then we're honoring Jack Hanna at Animal Encounters Village. And it's a place where you'll see your sloth, your echidna, your owl, all the things that brought we brought to you, you can see there. And the thing that I love about it, our animals aren't doing tricks. They're all natural behaviors that give us an opportunity to tell a story. So when a sloth comes walking right over your head on a rope and they sit there for a little bit, They'll tell you about a little tiny moth that lives on a sloth. And the only time that moth will come off that sloth is when that sloth goes down and goes into the water. And that's where that that moth will lay its eggs. It's symbiotic relationship. That's how they live. And it's really cool to learn. So you'll learn about all these animals. And it's super, super exciting. So we're going to be improving the zoo and taking care of it. um, But, you know, we have to recover. And we have to make sure that the Columbus Zoo, it's been here since 1927, and we want it to be there for a long, long, long time. Do you have anything coming up for the 100-year birthday? You know, we talked about we talked about doing that. You know, we were going to do a history book, and mm-hmm. and uh, it is coming up. But yeah. uh, I mean, still, yeah, you got yeah. a little bit of time, but yeah. I was just curious. Yeah, so yeah, well, I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out. Two of my sisters worked for the zoo uh, at summers when they were in college. Yeah, it's so, a great place. I mean, you know, there's fans. a lot of people that that want to work in the zoo business. Unfortunately, they, you know, I can't have everyone become a zookeeper. I can't have everyone be Jack Hanna. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's great opportunities. 
opportunities. And I can tell you that the best thing you can do if you want to land in this in this business is land a job, be as good as you can be there, and you can move up. The majority of the staff that are full-time started there as a seasonal or a volunteer. Hey, everybody. We're going to take a quick break here to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus. You know, it really couldn't be cooler to have a sponsor and a partner like One Columbus. They are directly in alignment with everything we stand for and everything we're looking to promote here at Conquering Columbus. I mean, they just want to bring the most competitive companies to the area and make everything about the city and the region just one of the greatest places to live in the United States and in the world for that matter. Yeah, they're like the ultimate Columbus hype man. They're trying to bring new businesses here, show them what our strengths are, but also address some of the weaknesses and say, like, this is how we could get better. So for us, we're excited to help promote their goal and help tell the story with them on board. Absolutely. And uh, if you guys want to learn more about One Columbus, check them out at columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. So how do I go to Antarctica? What, <laughs> We're what, back what, on what Antarctica. Yeah, yeah. I want to go. Okay, so <laughs> let's get to Patagonia, and then you get to Ushuaia, mm-hmm. and you get on that boat and go. I mean, it's... I it's, just want to fly in on that big... I mean, on if that you were big, tough, yeah. you would just get a rowboat and start rowing. True. Ooh. Yeah, 40-foot waves or whatever. Now, yeah, I yeah. think you want the... You don't want to go on the plane. You want to take the Drake Passage. I mean, I would do that, too. I just want to get there. I yeah. don't really care. The first yeah. time I get there, and I want the coat. Yeah. You know that big red coat oh, that all yeah. the employees get. So, uh, my, mine was yellow. Oh, okay. And, and, and it's uh, and the big boots. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it's it's absolutely really cold there. I've, <laughs> yeah. I've actually I've, I've actually applied for numerous like with companies just being like, hey, I, I you know I'd go. But what I realized is um, it doesn't matter how good of a photographer you are because being a marine biologist or a scientist is much harder. And it's easier to pick up a camera and take yeah, decent yeah. photos than it is for, you know, yeah. Yeah. the difference in my photography ability and that, you know, marine well, biologist. You'd probably have to do a combination of the two, right? That, that's what yeah. I'm saying. So it's a mu- it's much easier to give a doctor a camera and be like, here, figure it out. than give me, who's good around a camera, uh, well, go, better go, go back to school. Figure it out. <laughs> nah. Better get back to school, yeah. man. Yeah, I'm not going to so, go uh, back. I, I, no, I, I, com- like, I completely agree with you because I am not a good photographer. We're checking but, out some pretty cool photos but, here for those um, of you who I don't I have a real awesome this. camera. And um, and the lighting down there is incredible. Oh, it man. is. Absolutely. Huh. So you can you can see things. and um, That's so cool. It is. Look at that. That's the boat that we were on. Oh, it nice. looks like the penguins right on it. So What time of year were you there? So we went right before Thanksgiving. So we went between, uh, between uh, in, in October, at the end of October, and came back just about a week before Thanksgiving. We wanted to, so we were the, the first voyage out there. That's when they start going. That's when the ice is breaking mm-hmm. and they're able to get in there. So after the like long darkness. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that it's really important to do that because you are there when it's snowy and it's fresh and it's white. And as the snow is melting and the penguins are starting their colonies and, and they're nesting um, with all of the guano, um, the smell is really bad. The snow is melted. And um, sometimes, unfortunately, it gets pretty warm there. Mm-hmm. Um, there were uh, discussions that it was 62 degrees or 65 degrees, uh, one of the hottest times. Wow. And that's just too warm. That's yeah, not man. Antarctica. I wanted to go and and make sure I put on my my parka and, uh, and enjoy... Uh, you know, when you think Antarctica, you think snow, ice, and, right. and, uh, and penguins. Snow, ice, and penguins. Yeah. And, so uh, let me know what I need to do. Just take me along. Let's go. Okay. All right. <laughs>
<laughs> Tim's going to keep harping on that one. Oh, for sure. And uh, I did the polar plunge when I was there. Oh, and, man. And uh, the water was 33 degrees. No, nope, no, thank and, you. Yeah, it I'm was out. It was in and out, but I had to do it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, don't, yeah, you do it when I don't do cold water. No yeah. way, no how. I didn't either. I hated it, but, yeah, you know, come on. When's the next right. time I'm going? You right. know? Yeah. Except you gotta, for with you. you gotta, yeah, let's go back <laughs> yeah. when, when you guys go. Yeah. Well, uh, Tom, I think it's a good place to pivot towards, uh, you know, our last question of the show here, unless Tim, you got anything else? Uh, just I'm stuck on Antarctica. Stuck on Antarctica. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna get. Away I'm from sure that. I had other questions, uh, <laughs> yeah, but that's yeah. it. That's all I. Can but uh, our last question of the show is centered around the uh, theme here on conquering Columbus, and we chose live uncomfortably mm-hmm. for our theme. Okay. And without telling you too much about why we chose that particular phrase, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life, career, and, and the zoo? Hmm. Well, we're doing it right now. I can tell you that this is my 30th year in the zoo business. And I told you already why I'm in it. It's because we create smiles every day and uh, we make a difference for wildlife and wild places. Um, Not in my wildest dreams would I ever think that we would be in a pandemic and that all around us was crumbling and things like Ebola and uh, plagues that are happening in third world countries It's happening right here today. And for us to live it and to try to maneuver through, it's like, you know, getting the old book, the the road atlas out and trying to find these country roads and meander through to get to the, to the store. Uh, We're in it right now. And it's, it's a tough thing to do. It's, it's the toughest thing that I've had to do as a manager of a fun place to try every single day to survive and to keep my team to survive. And then when you have to make that impossible decision and start deciding what departments we're gonna have to eliminate was the absolute toughest thing in my career. And I can tell you that I've, you know, as a zookeeper and a person who loves animals, I would have told you before the pandemic, the worst thing I could ever do is to be there when an animal that I've fallen in love with and cared for forever passes away. That's tough. Um, this is this is tenfold more, and I think the the worst feeling of all is the unknown. Right? I can't even watch the news. I can't do it anymore. I just can't take it anymore. So I just do my best to be a leader and to be a servant leader and to help our community and help our team. Right? Believe me, when I have to write my memos to all staff. It takes me a long time because I want to say the right thing. I don't want to put fear in our team and I don't want false hope and I don't have the answers. And I want to make sure that I say the right thing. And I've learned to listen more and to try to get through and make sure in the end that everything is going to be okay. And I do feel that everything's going to be okay. It's just going to take a little bit, a little time. So I hate to end being so depressing. So let me be a little inspiring before I go. Thanks for having me, by the yeah, way. Thanks for joining. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah. It's been fun. So there are species in the world today that wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the Columbus Zoo and the other partners that have actually saved habitats, worked with people, um, cared for people, and then cared for animals. And zoos across the globe. When I sit back and I think about why zoos matter, they matter for so many reasons, education and conservation and science and learning and smiles. 
But in the end, I think the best way we can measure it is by saving a species. And I'm, a, I'm proud to be a board member of the Diane Fossey Foundation. And um, um, out of all the endangered animals, um, the mountain gorilla has gone from literally 200 to over 1,000. But think about it, only 1,000. Yeah, that's, that's not enough. But where they live in the small areas they've seen a major reversal in in the decline, right? So they're getting better. And that didn't happen by one individual. It didn't happen by one organization or even several organizations. It's making a difference. And it, it happened right in Columbus, Ohio. So we have a group of people that have been doing everything they can for the last 30 or 40 years. And so seriously, enjoy Columbus and realize you've got the best zoo that's making a difference every single day for wildlife and wild places. Yeah, I need to get out there. I haven't been out in a little while. Everybody get out there. Let's go. Everybody go to the zoo. And if you can't go, if you don't feel comfortable going out, support them in some way. But uh, Tom, thanks so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Everybody out there, that was Tom Stolf, president and CEO of the Columbus Zoo. If you enjoyed that episode, leave us a like, share it with your friends. And uh, again, go check out the zoo. But uh, we'll talk to you all next week. 